Phoenix Suns under Monty Williams rarely took threes, never got to the rim, hardly ever got to the free throw line. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, as we keep it rolling with our season preview, do they need to change their shot selection? And what would that even look like? Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Wednesday. We're keeping it rolling with our season preview. We are daily again. We're free and available everywhere, including YouTube, wherever you find your podcasts. So just hit follow or subscribe. Get the show in your feed every Monday through Friday. From here through free agency in 2024, yeah, 10 months. That's what I'm committed to. I'll be here for you. Stay locked on to your favorite team each and every day. Become an everydayer by hitting that button and getting us in your feed. All right. We uh, are keeping it moving with the season preview coverage. 13 questions that will define the Phoenix Suns season. We are at number three already. That's what happens when you go daily again. And uh, today's show is brought to you by Jace Medical. Today, uh, empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. More from them later on in the show. But let's... uh, Let's talk shot selection, but I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it ugly and unglamorous and boring, promise, all right? Uh, I I have some real concrete things to talk about because, look, this was a big criticism of the Suns for years. They uh, somewhat addressed it last year by hitting the offensive glass. You know, that's obviously a way to juice your at-rim attempts. But at the end of the day, the Suns were 18th in three-point frequency and last in the league in rim frequency. And that that rim frequency in particular, even with the offensive rebounding stuff that I just talked about, it it went up a tick, but it was still last in the NBA. Um, Even with that all happening, that trend of being last in the league happened three years in a row. Somehow, by hook or by crook, I don't even know what that saying means, but I'll use it here. Whether it was Ricky Rubio, I mean, I know the Suns cut a lot more that first year with Monty, but, you know, I guess it's like Aaron Baines and a little bit of Kelly Oubre sprinkled in there, and and I don't know, but the Suns were top half of the league in terms of rim frequency the first Monty season, and then once Chris got here, they were last every year. So the question that I want to ask first is, with those kind of figures in mind, and of course, on top of all of that, they were number one in, in mid-range frequency. That's how they lived and died. Uh, Chris, Book, Aiton, you know, even guys like McHale, as they started as he started to round out his game, lived in that mid-range area. As all of that has the potential to change under Frank Vogel and some of the personnel and and scheme changes, I think will evolve their shot selection and their shot diet. 
I think there is a question to be asked here of, do they need to, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, we talked about Booker on Monday with question number one here in terms of how does he improve? And last year he took a step forward in terms of rim pressure and shot uh, shooting foul rate, getting to the line, basically getting to the basket, finishing, getting those easy buckets around the paint. And yeah, that, that helped, but Booker's still here. The other big change, of course, is that Monty, uh, that Kevin Durant is here, right? I don't know why I almost said Monty Williams. Uh, that Kevin Durant is here. And Bradley Beal, DeAndre Ayton is still here. We don't know what a you know Jordan Goodwin will look like or what is Drew Eubanks' shot diet going to be when it's not at the rim and all those things. But I look at what the Suns were after the Durant trade, okay, they were even lower in rim frequency. This one is crazy. Fewer than one quarter. So three out of every four shots the Suns took was not at the rim. Only one out of every four was at the rim. The next closest team, and this is not always an indicator of dominance, right? Because the next teams above, uh, I guess you would say below them, um, were Miami, Milwaukee, Dallas, Brooklyn, Golden State, New Orleans, Boston. A lot of those teams were great. So it's not like you have to get to the rim to be a great team, but the Suns were the last by a mile. The next closest, again, being Miami, was four percentage points away from them. And in three-point percentage, they also went down on their overall rank. Fewer than a third of their shots were from three, and that is something that tends to correlate with success in the NBA, is taking a lot of threes and ideally making a lot of those threes. And the Suns barely did that at all. They did get a lot of corner threes up, so you have to give them credit for that. And that's where some of the gravity of Durant and everything did show up. Uh, But they were also, again, number one in mid-range frequency. And that went up because, obviously, Durant loves that shot. So I bring all this data in and I point out the changes in personnel to say a lot about the Suns has changed, right? Frank Vogel wants to run less structured offense, wants to get out in transition, wants to turn defense into offense, wants to have not one primary dominant ball handler, but everybody chipping in there. We don't know what Kevin Young's imprint on this offense might be, right? Like fully, you know, he's been a kind of coordinator or like, you know, second in command out there on the offensive end for the past couple of years. But what does it really look like when he's drawing up plays and having an even greater presence in the scheme creation, right? And again, the role players, right? But with those changes in mind, the main guys taking and making shots for this team, even in an ideal world, like this is what you want, right? Is Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. Those guys are going to be taking the shots. Those guys are going to, you know, if all goes according to plan, have pretty awesome scoring seasons and and carry a big burden load for this Suns team. And what they're best at is taking and making mid-range shots. You know, when Durant's healthy, he can get to the basket somewhat. (laughs) But, you know, like, let's be realistic about what we're getting there. I think that there will continue to be uh, a little bit higher that Booker can go in terms of getting to the basket. I think having the ball more often, you know, just think, right? Like a lot of the time, 
We'll talk about this more in the next segment. But a lot of the time when he's off ball, he's getting the ball coming away from the basket, you know, a down screen or a pin down or, uh, you know, whatever it might be. He's momentum is carrying him toward the three point line. That's not what you want. Right. If you're trying to get to the basket. But uh, Durant last year, even though he's a great athlete, even though when he's healthy and athletic, he can kind of, you know, finish well, like 15 percent of his shots came at the basket. Uh, when he was in Brooklyn last year, and 8% when he was a son. That's in the bottom 5% of all NBA players in terms of frequency. So and we know Beal, over the course of the last couple of years, has veered inside the arc more and more. I think that one can change, and again, we'll talk about the how next, but the question is, should the shot diet change, right? Does it need to? And I think you can probably guess where I'm going, considering I'm doing a whole episode. It'd be kind of weird if I started with, no, that doesn't need to change. It's all good. But I think the need for it to change is actually less than maybe when the Suns were running things through Chris Paul and Devin Booker because their best players are better, right? I mean, just Kevin Durant is better than Chris Paul at their ages probably at any age, and Bradley Beal is better than Mikhail Bridges as an offensive player, right? If you're going like second best, third best down the line of how the Suns roster has evolved. So they're better than those guys, and they're better at the the harder shots than those guys. So in and of itself, it's like, you know, you might say last year when Chris Paul is is clanking a lot of those mid-range jumpers, but still taking them, it's like, well, yeah, they got to figure something else out here. Who can step up? What can they do? But now, if Durant is making those, Beal is making those, Booker is making those, you know, three is better than two. A rim attempt is still always going to have a higher likelihood of going into the basket than a mid-range attempt. But on the whole, over the course of possession after possession, game after game, over the course of a season, a series, a, a postseason, it, it might even out. And I think the main area that they need to improve and that they can improve is the three-point shot. Because the Suns' best players are also better at making those than they were. Chris Paul didn't like to take them. Mikhail wasn't ever as high of a volume guy in that capacity as we might have liked. Jay Crowder was inconsistent. Cam Johnson could never stay on the court. Landry Shamit never quite made enough shots to fulfill his potential as a specialist there. But Duran is a killer shooter, maybe one of the best in the history of the game. Booker's always been a good shooter, especially when he gets a spot-up opportunity. He's gotten better at pull-ups. And Beal, I believe... We'll talk about it tomorrow more. We're doing a whole, whole Beal episode, but I think he can evolve and take more and make more. So that's one, and the role players are better at shooting. So we'll talk about next what it will look like. The short answer, it needs to change. It needs to become a more efficient shot diet, but not as much of an evolution as we might have thought before. Let's dive into the how next. First, today's show brought to you by Jace Medical. You heard me talk about them before, and they are an exciting new sponsor we really are thrilled about because the Jace case, which is their primo product, provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. So think about it like a obvious, um, we all have little containers around the house, right? We all have our first aid kits, we got the Band-Aids, we got whatever, but all it takes to get a Jace case is to fill out a simple online form, maybe jump on the call with a board-certified physician that they have, and get ongoing care from those physicians on any treatment-related questions. But the biggest thing is, it's not just that typical first aid kit, right? It is something more dynamic, something more specific, and again, it's antibiotics. It is medication, basically, and you 
are in contact with doctors. You are getting stuff that you really need, but you're getting it in bulk. You're getting it in uh, a quicker, more efficient package. Don't be caught unprepared. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. And Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. All right. We have a customer review saying they received the same package the same day they got a sinus infection when the doctor was out of town. No appointments for days, but they were able to get it through Jace. You know a lot of these for specialty medications, but not a lot for everyday stuff. Jace Medical and their Jace case solves that problem. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical plus an additional $20 off by using the code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Keeping it rolling, let's talk about how the Suns offense can evolve. And I hope, you know, you're along for the ride on the shot selection stuff. I'll throw Kevin Durant and Devin Booker in the title and uh, maybe, you know, get some extra listeners. It's not the sexiest topic, but it matters here. And if you've been a a longtime fan of this team, you've been a longtime listener, you know this narrative is out there, right? The Suns aren't going to be able to keep up. And really, you know, against both Dallas and Milwaukee, uh, in 21 and 22, you would say it was the rim attempts that screwed the Suns. So maybe I'm not making a big enough deal about that when I'm talking about the how of, of really how it changes. But you had, it was it was rim and, and free throws. And that I will talk about the free throws. But um, that's the deal, right? The Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic, the two teams that were able to beat the Suns, the two star players that were able to beat the Suns, they just lived on inside. They got to the basket. They drew fouls. They made it hard. They got the big men that the Suns put out there into foul trouble, all these different things, right? And you were watching the Suns try to mid-range their way out of that, and it just wasn't going to work. Against Denver, it's a little less clear, right? I think Denver can score from all three levels. I think that the the Nuggets really won the transition, the possession game was a lot of it. You know, I, I don't know if the Nuggets series, and you can go back and listen to Tuesday's episode where I talked about Denver, but when I kind of look at all of that and factor in what we talked about in the last segment with the way that the personnel has changed on the top of the roster as well as the depth, and I try to think about how it could change, keeping in mind that the three-point stuff is the most feasible because the Suns' best players and their role players all are better shooters than they were in the previous incarnation of this team, that's going to go a long way. But let's talk about the other part of it, which I think is the free throw percentage, right? And this is just what happens when you have star players, right? Like this one doesn't maybe involve quite as much squinting or imagination to figure out how it can get better for Phoenix, right? Last year, they were 27th in free throw rate, but, um, as far as I remember, that went way up in the playoffs. So they took 19% of their shots in the regular season, or I'm sorry, they got to the free throw line 19 times per 100 field goal attempts. So just think about that. The total number of shooting possessions the Sun had, Suns had, 19 free throws per 100. In the playoffs, that went up to 22, and they were actually seventh in the postseason mix in terms of that metric top half, obviously, because technically 20 teams make the postseason, but uh, the 
well, New Orleans was number one. So let's actually say the Suns were seventh. Oklahoma City was actually two. So maybe you would even say the Suns are six because those were playing teams. But the point is, it went up. And why did it go up? It's because Kevin Durant came to town, right? It's because instead of Chris Paul taking shots, instead of DeAndre Ayton or Mikhail Bridges taking shots, Kevin Durant was taking those shots. And because he's seven feet tall, because he can, you know, first of all, he's going to get played physically. Second of all, he's so long that you got to slap him sometimes because his, his limbs are flying around and you have no better choice when you're trying to contest but to just stick your arm out and odds are you're going to foul him a lot in that case. And then, of course, Devin Booker was just a bat out of hell and really making an emphasis on getting downhill in transition and, and everything else, and, and he was getting to the line. So when you have great star players, star scores, that's one of the reasons you get them. They get easy shots, not just their bread and butter shots, which we just talked about, are a lot in the mid-range for this particular trio of scorers in Booker, Durant, and Beal. But just in general, the best players are going to generate free throw attempts. So when you look at, again, how the Suns can do this, we have a piece of that puzzle. Beal's never been uh, a huge free throw guy. Uh, I can get the actual numbers here. Keeping in mind, again, the Suns team total was tw- a .22 free throw rate in the playoffs last year, Beal was 0.26. So even he should bring it in the right direction. And in his two best seasons during the pandemic, he was at 35 and 33 in terms of free throw rate, 0.35, 0.33. So even he ought to make a noticeable difference here. But let's, let's talk less just about personal style and roster makeup and even stats and, and talk about the way this team might play. Um, I'm still a little bit hesitant to say that even if Vogel is able to emphasize transition more if the defense is able to create more turnovers, which then lead to more transition opportunities, that that's going to be able to make a big enough impact to on the, on the shot diet stuff. It'll make an overall impact. Any team that gets out in transition more is going to score more. And that's, those are easy shots. They tend to be fast breaks or, you know, advantage situations going down the court. And that's always for the better. You don't want to only run, you know, as like the Kings and the, Grizzlies and some of those teams can can you know attribute to but if you run you'll be more efficient but is it really going to make a big enough how much can they really increase their transition opportunities to say like and then they you know they got five percent more rim attempts because of that like you'd have to really get out and run in order to see that really show up so I'm not sure it'll be there um but that's just I I don't I guess to to come down on on one side of this um, I don't think the rim frequencies I I don't know what the pathway is to that going up all that much it's hard for me to imagine they're going to rebound offensively more than they did last year I think that they will emphasize that less again if they want to get out in transition then you know they're going to be playing fast you don't tend to um, emphasize transition offense, transition defense, and offensive rebounding. I know that's more defensive transition, but that's also a big Vogel emphasis. So as I talk in circles there, you get my point. I don't think they're going to get those putback opportunities. Their best players, even if Booker ticks up a little bit, Durant won't. I think you want Beal on the perimeter as a spacer and as a spot-up attacker and things like that. And the rest of this roster just isn't really made for attacking the basket, you know, can can Drew Eubanks do a little bit more of that than maybe Jock Landale and Dario Saric and Bismack Biombo did? Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, probably, right? Um, but, you know, the rest of this roster you're talking about, Eric Gordon, like, he drives, but, you know, it's, it's often drive and kick or drive and get to the line. 
take a lot of threes. Like you're not really counting on mid thirties, Eric Gordon to increase your rim frequency. And the rest of these guys are frankly shooters. They're three and D players, you know, um, Bates Diop, you want him taking corner threes, you Nabe, he's a good athlete, but he, he's a shooter. Josh Okoge, how involved can he really be with the lack of a jump shot? So I don't think the rim frequency is going to go up, but that's where I want to close is how can the three point frequency go up? Like what are the realistic ways? And I just think a lot of it's gravity. You know, I think it sounds like Vogel wants to run a lot of quick hit stuff, you know, quick, like think of what, um, you know, the dribble handoff has been talked about a lot with Beal because he had such good chemistry with Porzingis and other guys on that team. Uh, Just using kind of his downhill ability combined with his pull-up three ability to just keep the defense guessing. I think they'll do some of that with Durant, some of that with Aiton, but even just think like how some of these like Luca Kyrie combo plays or uh, Halliburton and Heald in, in Indiana, or I mean, there's a ton, right? Where uh, let's say Beal and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Bain and Morant in Memphis, a shooter screening for another ball handler is LeBron with Kyle Korver and those guys once upon a time, right? Like these ghost screen, slip screen stuff that you can do when the defense has to react really strongly to both guys involved and one of them is not just like a role man can be really impactful. I think there's going to be easy ways to get good players and good shooters open on the perimeter with some of those basic actions, you know, a quick pin down, like just the amount of attention that's going to need to be paid for the stars is going to create great threes for either the other stars on this team or the role players on this team. You would hope that Aiton starts to command a little bit of respect going downhill and as an offensive rebounder, and when you're at having to have a body on him, then that's going to create more space on the perimeter and all the rest. So that's kind of how I envision it, but it's also going to need to be an emphasis. It's going to need to be Booker looking for those guys. It's going to be Beal, Durant, Aiton, all hitting those spot-up shooters on time and on target and consistently and not forgetting about them and leaning into let let me just pull up from you know 15 feet so it's all of those things I don't think it's going to come at the rim I do think it'll come at the free throw line and from three and they'll probably be even better from the mid-range than they have been this team has the potential to be the best offense in the NBA with all of that said but as I say in the NBA there where I want to close is what's the rest of the league going to look like Talked a little bit about it when I was going through the what's necessary to win in the modern NBA stuff earlier, telling you the teams that were near the bottom of rim frequency versus threes and all that. So let's talk about if the league is going to require that the Suns be quite so good from all these spots on the floor, or if they can, you know, jump shoot their way to a championship. We'll do that after one more quick break. Wrapping things up. Let's talk big picture trends in the NBA. You heard it from me. I'm the guy. No, I, I keep an eye on things. You know, I recommend you guys listen to the Just Basketball Show. We do a lot of big picture NBA national coverage, not just Suns talk over there. Nice little plug. You're welcome. But look, I'm not, I'm not a head coach in the NBA. I'm not scouting these guys. I'm not traveling the country watching every NBA game every day. But what I do know is what teams are built like this year and what the numbers show us has won in the NBA most recently, right? So what I will say, first and foremost, you have to be able to score on the half court. Even in this pace and space era, games slow down, possessions get tight. 
teams dictate pace and you cannot win in the league unless you have an excellent half-court offense. You have to have ways, whether it's individual creation, whether it is set design, whether it is spacing. It's usually a combination of all three. I'd say running sets is probably the least necessary version of that, which I think, I guess, you know, a little bit of a feather in Vogel's cap that he wants to run less. Maybe you could say that's a good thing, but point is, right, you have to have it. You have to have all of it, and you have to score in the half court. But as far as where the shots come from, like, let me tell you the top teams by effective field goal percentage last year. That is just basically the teams that put the ball in the basket the best. Denver was number one. They were sixth at rim uh, in at-rim frequency, 10th, uh, 18th, sorry, in mid-range frequency, and 22nd in three-point frequency. They also uh, did get to the line at a, uh, let's see, where are they? Really great radio as I look through this and cannot find the word Denver on my screen. They were 24th in free throw rate. So really they just got their baskets at the rim and that carried them. The Sacramento Kings were the best offense in NBA history by offensive rating, just pure points per 100 possessions. They obviously juiced that a little bit by how much they ran, but their points mostly came from deep. They ran, and then when they were in the half court, they got offensive rebounds sometimes by Sabonis. They had a really great mid-range shooting season from De'Aaron Fox, although no one else on the team really took those. And then they put up a bunch of threes. They were sixth in the NBA in in three-point rate. Golden State. Number one in three-point rate, but really, really low in rim and mid-range. So another team that just chucked threes, maybe to their detriment, but that was their recipe. Dallas, fourth in effective field goal percentage. They took a bunch of threes as well and were in the bottom five in both at-rim frequency and mid-range frequency. So again, chucking threes. Boston, very, very similar. Bottom five in both rim and mid, but chucked up threes. So let me look at free throw rate for those teams. Boston was 22nd. Dallas was with Luka uh, at number seven. Golden State was, as they always are, very, very near the bottom, second to last. Uh, and uh, I think I already said Boston 22nd. So it would lead you to believe that great individual creators plus a bunch of threes and maybe you know something a little bit fluky like offensive rebounding or, or transition dominance that's your recipe. You don't have to be great at all three. You don't have to even be great at the rim. You do have to have capable players who take and make threes, and you have to get to the free throw line, and you have to have, again, star-level creators. As I look about, as I look at the Suns roster, they have all of that. Right? Those are the things I just highlighted. It's almost like I might have done that on purpose. But I would imagine James Jones did it on purpose, too. And so to answer question number three in our 13 questions preview series here, how do the Suns take the right shots, right? That's kind of the basic elementary school way of saying what I'm talking about here. They play through what they do best. They emphasize the three-point line, try to make gains with Booker operating more with the ball and getting out in transition a little more use their role players and star players who all are great three-point shooters, and then hope that Booker, Durant, and Beal do what they've always done, which is create efficient shots in spots that other players can't. It's working for a lot of teams around the league. The Suns are set up to take advantage of it, and 
that's all you can hope for. That'll wrap us up. Question number three in the books. We'll have Stephen from, I, I think it's Prigian, Prigian of Bright Side of the Sun and CHGO and a bunch of other places. Great NBA analyst, great basketball analyst to talk about Bradley Beal tomorrow. Really deep dive on what his role should be and how he can maximize it. So that'll be question number four. We'll close out the week with Aaron Edwards talking probably about Matt Ishbia because I love that topic. So hit follow, subscribe, get the rest of this preview series as well as camp preseason and regular season coverage in the not too distant future just by hitting follow or subscribe and support the show that way. Also just get great content. Forget supporting me. You just get to listen to awesome shows every day. That's the real point. All right. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.